Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is your girl, Mitzi, and this is Mitzi. Let's think about it. Today, we are thinking about our mortality. Hmm, let's be honest. This is a taboo. So I got a special guest on my show, Julie. Thank you so much for being here. Thank so let's, <laughs> yeah, let's get right to it. Why should we think about our mortality? If I could say it right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me here. This is so wonderful. Uh, I mean, our mortality is like the only given that we all have. We all live and we all die. And yet society does not want us to think about it, does not want us to talk about it. And it just boggles my mind. Yes, it does. It, it really frustrates me that this is Let's have it. Like, we can't acknowledge the fact that we die because for some reason they believe that we're going to live forever or they're going to change science or science is going to evolve and technology is going to evolve to the point where we will live forever or we will come back and do greater things or experience the, the future or whatever that is. But it's like, why can't we just enjoy now why can't we just accept the fact that one day we will die you know and i think it's the biggest question is why do you think this is such a taboo besides what you said earlier like let's get deeper into it why do you really think this is a taboo to really talk about death Definitely. Well, I think you said something big there is that people don't want to die. People don't want to get old, right? And so when we talk about mortality or when we talk about death and dying with other people, we have to acknowledge that someday we will die. And that's one of our biggest fears. And the reason we fear this is because as society, mostly in like Western civilizations, we're told that like growing old is bad. Getting old is wrong. We know longer celebrate and lift up our elders we remove them from our view we shun them from society so then the idea of like our own mortality becomes i am going to be shunned from society i am going to be removed i am going to be lesser than what i am now and that's really frightening so if we can avoid it if we can you know, make ourselves look younger, if we can defy death by being like the most fit 50 year old out there, you know, maybe somehow we'll escape this reality of being like lesser than. That's very true. I like those points, because let's be honest, it's that fear of the unknown that you were talking about earlier. I mean, if you if if people don't know what's on the other side, they're not going to want to even acknowledge it. And I think mm-hmm. in other cultures outside of the Western civilization and out of our society that they have a reason, you know what I mean? After death, there's, there's a place that they go and they share it or they embrace it, or they just celebrate death in such a different way than what mm-hmm. we do. And it's amazing to know that, we have twisted what death is, you know what I mean? It's just it's just an, an, an end of this chapter. And I think the fact mm-hmm. that we just want to hold on so much, it's yeah. it's kind of sad because people say, oh, bury me with my with my money, bury me with my jewels. It's like, okay, what yeah. are you gonna do with that? You know what I mean? Yeah. What what are you really gonna do with that? And I think mm-hmm. and I think that's crazy, but what do you what do you think about that? Yeah, you know, there's something huge in there is that um, when we think about death, uh, often we have we have 
um, uncoupled ourselves from religion in a lot of ways in in North America. And part of that is this like allowing to be an individual, you know, and so you're allowed to be an individual in your life and you're allowed to be an individual in your death. So you could do literally anything for your end of life or your death. You could be buried, you could be cremated, there's natural cemeteries, you know, you could ask someone to keep your ashes, you could spread your ashes, you know, the options are limitless. And not even a 100 years ago, there were no options. Religion told us exactly what to do in life and exactly what to do in death. So we think that we embrace this change. But what happens is we get closer to our death and we're just like, I don't know what to do. There's too many options. I'm scared. This is too much choice. And our family doesn't know what to do because we've separated death then. So our children haven't seen us bury our our grandparents and our parents. And so when they're burying their parents, they're like, well, maybe my mom wants this or maybe dad really wanted this. And so we don't feel solid about the choices that we're making. And it makes people frightened. It makes people worried. And so this individualistic society has, again, pushed us to not know the choices of our family, not know the needs of our family and not feel supported. You know, in other cultures, we have people wearing black when they're mourning. That's to let society know to be gentle to this person. Now we have people who are grieving go out in society and have to do daily tasks, you know, have to just go to the grocery store and have people be like, how about that weather? And be like, you don't know that I'm suffering, right? When we take away some of these traditions, when we take away culture, when we take away religion, we're left with all these question marks. And it's very hard for us to grieve. It's very hard for us to get old. It's very hard for us to die. Yeah, that's very true. Wow, you brought up some really great points. Really amazing points there. I don't even know which one to even reflect <laughs> back on. I, you leave me completely stumped because it is that concept of everything that you just said, you know, and I guess it makes us realize that we value life. But at the same time, we don't respect it. You know what I mean? Like, because if we if we truly respected our lives, we would live our lives differently. You know, don't you think? Because if we did, then we would embrace the fact that I lived all that I could or all that I can and all that I will. And now I'm ready to die because it's crazy because if you've seen all of those books and movies about immortality and Mm. and one of their true curses is that the fact that they can't die, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And they see it more as a blessing because now you're done Mm -hmm. versus living forever and you're and you're low-key screwed by dealing with everything that that's going to continue to come through life, you know, so Uh, I mean, what is your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, it's a very interesting concept because, um, you know, I've worked in palliative care. I've worked in bereavement for a lot of my career. And there is this idea of, of everything but what I have is better, you know? So people in grief, 
if their person died of a heart attack, they're like, I would have preferred if it was cancer. I would have gotten to say goodbye. I would have had this grieving process. When someone's loved one has died from cancer, they're like, I wish it was sudden. It was so hard to watch them like wilt away, you know? And so when you say like being immortal and they're like, all they want is mortality. Like, I think we're always thinking the grass is greener. You know, we always think what we have isn't enough, you know? So that's a really interesting way to reflect on it is like, what, what do you think that actually would look like? Because when people have that reality, they're not loving it, you know? So I think it's like never enough. It's never good enough. You know, we always want more. We always want it to be different. And if we just saw life, like you say, if we just accepted life, if we lived our lives, if we loved our lives, we could really embrace everything that's given to us and not necessarily in a, like, this is the hand that's dealt to me and I have to move forward. But in a, everybody has a beginning, everybody has an end. We don't know what that looks like. And if you appreciate that this time is precious and it's not going to last forever, then when you know, it's the end, you get to be like, okay, I I know I lived a good life. I'm happy with the life that I lived. And if this is the end of it, you know, that's, I'm ready for that next step, you know? Exactly. I I absolutely agree. It's that preparation. And I worked in the healthcare field for 11 years and I I did um, insurances for about like a good two to three years and just talking to people about that end of life and preparation and, and just trying to have everything all settled. It's, it's as if they're it's as if they think that you're wishing death upon them just to like bringing it up, you know what I mean? And I'm pretty sure with your experience as well, you encounter that where people say, just don't talk about it because that's just going to bring it upon me or my family or a loved one, you know, and, and they hold on to that as a superstition, you know what I'm saying? But what, what do you, I mean, what other superstitions have you heard of besides that one when it comes to death or have you, was it just that one possibly? Well, I, I think that one is huge. Like you say, I I was working in hospice and I had a man come to me and say, like, I never imagined my father dying. I we never talked about it. He never brought it up. Like, I don't know what he wants, you know, and he wasn't at a, a stage where he could articulate what he wanted anymore. And this yeah. man was 91 years old. You know, his son was yeah. in his late 60s and his son said, I have never thought about dying, you know, and a lot of people die before they're in their late 60s, you know, And I was, it was just mind boggling to me that this had never been a conversation for them, but it's exactly like you say, it was very taboo. It was ill to wish um, that on other people by bringing it up. Um, There's lots of taboos about, you know, sharing someone's illness and that's, um, specifically for Asian cultures, they would like you not to tell the person who's dying what their illness is. And in Western civilization, like I say, very individualistic, everybody has their own control over their health care. So how do you allow a client to make decisions for themselves and to know what's going on in their life and to share with them when the whole family is surrounding them, coming to support them, which is such a beautiful thing, but saying, don't tell them that they're dying or don't tell them that it's cancer. You know, they know they're sick. They don't need to know these details. Right. And so it is a very hard thing having um, kind of those cultural differences uh, meet up in healthcare like that. And um, yeah, the taboos are just so great and so many. 
Yeah, when you were talking about the hospice in that situation, I remember when I was used to work in the nursing homes, and I totally forgot about that because it, it was in my way, way younger years. But when I worked in the in the nursing homes and we dealt with hospice, it was it was crazy because I I can I always knew if one died, another another two was gonna end up dying before the end of the three months. Like for mm-hmm. us, our superstition was people die in threes. So that was one thing that we've always noticed. Well something that I picked up or I don't know why, but I've always noticed that it's like celebrities dies in threes, like old people, they die in three, like we die in three. I don't know if that's necessarily true or not, but I thought that was something that was interesting. Have you ever picked something up where you're like, hmm, something, some, there's some type of pattern. Like what, have you, has that ever came to you? Well, so my family is very Irish and growing up, I just thought some of these superstitions within my family were the norm of society, right? Because it was my norm. And then um, as I got older, I realized that is a very Irish thing to do, to look for patterns, to, to have these superstitions and stuff. And so things that I would say to people, like things happen in threes, that's definitely one that my family believes. And people would look at me like, I've never heard that before, you know? And it's like, it's, it's huge. Yeah. So like, things happen in threes, we would see patterns of types of illness coming into hospice. That was something. So, um, and that was very hard on staff because, you know, like, like every death looks different or end of life looks different, you know, and say you get a lot of people with um, brain cancer. Well, that's a lot of confusion. That's a lot of forgetting their family, which is very hard on family members. You know, that's a lot of um, losing skills, like, like being able to talk, being able to express your needs, being able to walk, you know, and sometimes quite quickly. So say we got, you know, um, a few people that had brain cancer in all of a sudden the nurses would be like, Oh, we can't have any more people with brain cancer. Like this is too hard. This is too much, you know? And so mm-hmm. definitely saw trends like that. Um, medical assistance in dying um, is legal here in BC where I am. And that was big, you know? So if we had someone have uh, made is the acronym for that, we would see quite quickly, maybe like two more. And that's very hard on staff, you know, like even though we uh, were working with people dying, there's still a shift when someone is picking when they die. So even people who were very big proponents of made, it still hits different, you know? And so that would be very hard on staff when we saw trends like that come through. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is very different because over here, the assistance to die, I mean, is very rare to come across. Like, I think there's very few states that actually have that over here in the U.S. So I think that's that's interesting that they have that out there and that it, that it's still frowned upon, like, because you know the end result, but at the same time, it's accepted. So it's sad you know what i mean it's sad but at the same time it's it shows that when you when you have the opportunity to do it i guess they give people the green light to choose that decision and it's not considered suicide right Uh oh that's interesting that's really interesting i'm pretty sure that the um, life insurance laws are a lot different than over here because suicide you automatically don't get um, a payout, but 
over there if you choose to die is that acceptable i mean is it acceptable on your i mean i'm pretty sure you don't know personally but you know that's something interesting to me because that's that's different that's totally different than what we're exposed to so to hear that it's really like wow if you're really in a mood, because I've been in those moods before, we're like, man, I'm just done. And let me just sign, I'm like, let my life be done. And I can only imagine if I would have done it, not, that way I wouldn't be here, you know? And sometimes you, I feel like people need time to heal, but I guess everybody's just different. Mm-hmm. Well, so the process became legal very quickly here. And so a lot of other Um, systems have not really caught up to that. So you're right. Uh, Life insurance has not caught up to really be well informed about medical assistance and dying. And so there have been lots of people that have been denied life insurance because they've chosen that. Um, Now, when you look at like how it's written out, it doesn't say that they won't pay out, you know, but then all of a sudden you have someone who's died by medical assistance of death and you're phoning life insurance and they're like, well, what's the cause of death on the death certificate? And then they're not paying out. So um, I'm hoping that there's changes to that because one, like there's very strict regulations to who gets to choose this. And one is that your, your death is imminent, you know, that you will die of natural causes within um, and like they don't actually dictate how much time, but within a foreseeable amount of time. So your doctor is allowed to um, kind of use their judgment of what foreseeable means. Um, but mm-hmm. everybody that I've witnessed go through it. It's, you know, we, we know that it's very imminent, you know? And so then because someone has decided to shorten their life by days uh, or maybe weeks, potentially months, now all of a sudden their family doesn't get that money or that support in other ways. Like it's, it's a very hard thing to go through. Oh, wow. That's interesting. But I guess that does make sense. And I'm glad that they at least have it to the point where it's, it's restricted, you know, to the point where the doctor has to confirm that because at least it gives those people that that's at the end of life not to suffer and I, and I know that hospice it gives them morphine and they help some ease through the pain but sometimes it can drag you know what I mean mm-hmm. I've seen it drag you know and I've seen the families that the way they they suffer because they don't understand or they don't mm-hmm. they don't they don't they don't really know what's going on and it's stressful for them, you know? So to have that as an outlet is nice because sometimes I've heard that from families, like I wish I could just schedule it so that it can be done and over with already because I have to go back to my life because it doesn't stop. And, mm-hmm. and I, I know a lot of people who, who may hear that may hear that as selfish, but in reality it's life, you know, mm-hmm. because people are on this rat race that it's just, it, that's all they focus on that. That is, is a burden to just even think about you know mm. i mean ha- have have you i see it seems like and i'm pretty sure you have that you came across that as well right yeah well again i think like societally we have really moved away from a place where we can allow and appreciate death you know we used to have um family homes and we used to have um people within that home not having to work you know and right now there's it's more and more rare that there is you know a stay-at-home 
mom, there was a stay at home person, you know, and if you look back to more communal living, there would be potentially like the oldest female child in the home would not work and would care for their parents throughout their whole life. So when their parents get elderly, they're there caring for them, you know, and I have witnessed that, you know, uh, one of the children has lived with their family their whole lives. And then when they're in hospice, they're at their bedside, they're tending for them. And it's really beautiful and really lovely. And, and um, now that person in society would be chastised. If you decided to not go to school, if you decided not to get married, if you decided not to get a job because you wanted to be there for your parents, people would be like, what's wrong with you? You know? Mm -hmm. And then you have families. Yeah. That when their parents are dying, they all have children of their own. They all have jobs. They all have careers and lives that they cannot take a pause from. And like, realistically, sometimes that pause could be like two years, you know, like my, aunt was fortunate enough that she retired early to look after my grandmother thinking it was going to be a year or two because she was quite elderly she lived till 98 you know and so my aunt spent many years caring for her and um my aunt feels very grateful to get to have that opportunity but she could also feel the other way she could also feel like her life was taken from her you know that she had to retire or something like that you know and yeah and so it's it's very tricky in society to be able to welcome these things because we've set up blocks that make it hard Yes, that's very true. That is very true. Oh my goodness, this conversation has been so nice and easygoing. I feel like we can continue to talk about this for oh, hours on end because it has, it's such a it's a you have such great points and and values and the way that you 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 got to experience it from your own personal life to to just working in the field. I mean, you bring a lot to the table. So I, I appreciate that. I appreciate you, you, so you coming on my show and, and sharing this because you didn't have to, you know, you didn't have to share your time with me, but you did. So I, I do appreciate that. And I guess to start wrapping up the show, what can be some lasting words that you can leave my audience off with? I think, you know, one of the most important things is to talk about death, to talk about mortality, because like you say, it's so taboo that when we put it to the shadows of society, we all feel like we have to experience it on our own. You know, every time we go through a big loss, we feel like we're the only person that has experience something like that. So if we share our experiences, if we share our thoughts, then when someone goes through it, when you or I go through it, we know that we can connect, we can go to that person and be like, Hey, I'm going through this. And this is very hard, you know, like, let's start this conversation early, let's include our children in it, you know, let's have this talked about in friend circles and schools and stuff. And that's really going to allow us to support each other through um, grief, through losing other people and through our own losses, you know, that we don't have to hide when we feel unwell or when we're scared, you know, we can talk about it openly. There you go. Awesome. I like that. I like that very much. It has been such a great time speaking with you, Julie, a really, really pleasure. And if anybody wants to know more, just check out my website and you'll find her lovely photo and we can go from there, but that's it. That's the show. Thank you all for your thinking with us and always, always keep thinking. Bye.